Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you very much for joining me today. I very appreciate your time and your um, your support for this podcast. Um, I am really honored that you come here every day. So thank you very much once again. So yesterday we spoke about establishments and I wanted to continue on, on different types of establishments. Plus, minus, negative, positive, because some do good work, some don't. Some interpret the establishments the other way, some manipulate them. And you have to give credit where credit is due, but you have to also call out uh, where credit uh, anomalies that take place. Um, Now, I was looking, watching... um, should I say, reading up on something yeah, early on today. And the person who, who was giving the, the sermon or the speech said, the duty of, of a conversation, a duty of the media or the academia is to trigger up conversations, uh, to trigger up a conversation, uh, to talk about, uh, discuss a subject so we can bring about on the table different ideas, different points of views in order to make a change in society. Uh, and that is what we're doing here today. We're trying to trigger a conversation and we do hear it here all the time. So when we trigger a conversation, the, the goal of the conversation is that you read up on the subject, you research it, and once you research you can then afterwards, um, you know, uh, speak about it, uh, learn from it, unders- make it into an intellectual junction, learn from it, and understand the currents that form its waves, the atwa, all that lies in between. Uh, that's very, very important. Atwa, uh, knowledge, and through the knowledge we heal, and we can make adjustments in our lives, and we can improve ourselves. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to talk about the Duke and Duchess of Soap Operas. If you don't know what that is, uh, I'm sure the title aroused your curiosity. So you will find yourself. Uh, so you find yourself listening to this podcast. So yes, we are talking. Uh, uh, this this uh, podcast will explain the soap opera surrounding the hideous privileged lives of Mister and Missus Harry Windsor Mountbatten, or um, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, uh, otherwise known as Prince Harry and Duchess. Uh, Megan. Now, why are we talking about this? Establishments. Uh, so we'll talk about them and, and we'll go from there. You'll see plus and you'll see minus and you will see understand the history behind it. Uh, why this is this is important. Uh, what can we learn from this junction? How can we make this junction into an intellectual laboratory? Because we hear about this tabloid press talking about them. But behind this, this is a very important junction to learn from. So for those who did not grow up, grow up in a Commonwealth nation, and especially that of uh, the United States of America, this chapter is dedicated to the, their lack of knowledge and their frugal identity politics, soap opera lifestyle. So we'll start with constitution versus commercial. So every country has a con- constitution. Every empire, kingdom of the past uh, has a constitution too. The Bible came, became the constitution of the Roman Empire. The Quran was a constitution of the Islamic colonial caliphate. Uh, Persians had the Avestan, which now becomes Zoroastrianism. The Sikhs uh, have the Guru Granth Sahib. The Hindus have the Vedas, the Gita, the Ramayana, and the Mahabharata. The, the modern world also has its own set of constitutions. Uh, in the Commonwealth and the British parliamentary system, the sovereign is the head of the constitution. For those who do not use a sovereign but are republics like India and Pakistan, the sovereign is replaced by presidents. So for those Commonwealth countries that use sovereigns, if they choose Her Majesty the Queen is the sovereign head of state. This includes 16 countries, 15 of which are Canada, uh, Australia, New Zealand, where she's the head of state. I think that the number is up to 15 now. Basically, this means she's neutral. Uh, For any regional or national politics, she does not take a stand. She is the glue that keeps the country and provinces uh, within the country together. So let me explain. In the U.S., the president is the head of state and leads the executive branch of the country. However, he is elected through an electoral process of political bickering and vendettas, mistrust, violence, hero versus villain warfare. He is not appointed. 
This means divisions, us versus them. An ancient but now modern war uh, game of divide and rule. So any decision an, uh, an American president takes, be it positive or negative, he will be seen as negative by the opposition and positive by its own people. There will never be a consensus. That will ultimately lead to strife, revolt, and eventually civil war. This is how the country breaks up, and a tug of war that leads to a, what we call a civil war. A revolt always comes from the inside, that is because there's no third party to intervene to balance the status quo. If it sounds familiar, this is exactly what's happening in India, my friends. Um, in a parliamentary system of government, as that of the United Kingdom, the national politics is also played out by elected representatives up to the House of Commons and appointed to the House of Lords. While, the battle, while they battle it out in heated debates in the House of Commons, this eventually leads to ripple effects in society and divide and rule of power among the tapestry of layers that make up the society below. In this case, in steps, uh, in this case, um, in steps the sovereign. As she is neutral, she will go around the sectors of civil society and balance those ripple effects that could form tidal waves. She calls people to gather around for tea, charities, local sporting events, and since she is neutral, everyone gathers around and forgets their politics. The, the next day she goes back and the leaders of the local communities go back to the drawing board to gather uh, and debate the issues with calmer heads, knowing that they are the same and equal under foreign, under the sovereign, and, there sh and she is there for the good of all. Uh, so basically, she's, she's, what the sovereign is doing is just calming the currents and the waves. Uh, every time there's a ripple effect, she goes in, she has tea, calls for charities, local sporting events, everyone comes together, and, you know, the, the negativity sort of douses off. So this will never happen in America, where the president holds a political post and will always be a divider-in-chief and never a uniter. Whatever his issues or however good he turns out to be, he cannot expect to go to the campaign trail for two years. Play divide and rule and expect to unite the country until the next election in two years. There may be one needle in the haystack in two or three generations, but that is an exception rather than a rule. In this scenario, the parliamentary system absolutely beats out any political system on the planet. It is therefore very important that the Queen maintains her neutrality, does not let out her opinion and remains the uniter-in-chief. Compare her to the merry-go-round. In the centre, there is a stationary pole of metal or wood. It is connected to a platform through a motor and to a system of pulleys attached to a stationary pole. All the horses are attached to the cranking rods suspended from the ceiling of the merry-go-round, and the, round the pole they go up and down. The queen is that central pole attached to a motor. The motor is the constitution. Through lineage and, fam and marriage of her family to that constitution, through the generations, they, man they manage the merry-go-round. Whoever go gets on and off has to respect the rules. They also have a duty and responsibility to balance themselves on their own horse. If not, they fall off and the whole merry-go-round has to stop for them. A technician comes in and people get angry because they've paid for this ride. This is the duty of the sovereign, her family and the constitution. The slightest of issues can have far-reaching effects, which make it ever more vital for everyone to contribute to a smooth, um, uh, which makes it ever more vital uh, for everyone to contribute to the smooth functioning of that merry-go-round. This is the story of all our lives, sovereign states, and thousands of years of history that make us all up. The Queen has done an exemplary job of maintaining that merry-go-round, with few hiccups, I might add, some bigger than others, some not. However, she has stood tall for the last she has stood tall for the last seventy years. Was it seventy-five? 
One of the main reasons for her success is that her firm sense of duty and her steadfast stance of neutrality she has taken. The constitution dictates that its representative is neutral and the success of that constitution depends on at least one arm of its representative remaining neutral. She has had to she has to be that outside party who will walk into a brawl with a cup of tea and her simple presence calms those frail nerves. Once that neutrality goes, then it's civil war. The country will break up. Americans do not understand this. For them, politicians and constitutionalists are one and the same. The same political politician is a sovereign head. He will never unite even if he repeats the word unity a million times. He or she can say no, red states or blue states. We are the United States of America. Through the back door, if he still says black or white America, Latin or Asian America, he divides rather than unites. American politics will always be divisive and try to replicate, and they try to replicate this everywhere. American democracy is the most backward democracy in the world. Even if the constitution is great, its democracy negates the constitution with all its might. It is for one and all to understand this. So, for example, we'll take Canada. Canada is a democratic constitutional monarchy. This means we have a democracy in that we have an electoral process. However, the system of governance is a constitutional monarchy with Her Majesty as the head of state. She governs and is the supreme governor of the Constitution of Canada. She calls for the parliament to sign bills into laws and then brings all factions and layers of government and civil society to the table and to events held in her name. Her aura and her sacredness of her duty has a calming effect on one and all. She is neutral and by her simple presence brings all Canadians together to heal and rejoice in each other's company, devoid of political trash talk. We have one constant thorn in our armour, the linguistic thorn um, that we call the French-English divide. I'm talking about Canada. This linguistic war is actually a leftover of a thousand years of battles between the Angles, Saxons, the Germanic tribes of Europe split over into the world. These battles now form the undercurrents of the world wars we see today. While they explode over the surface, the currents are still the the same all over Europe. Once the currents come to the surface, the currents... um, Once the currents come to the surface, instead of transitioning into calm waters and moderate waves, very often they lead to horrific battles. These battles form the modern states of Great Britain and France we see today. These two empires took over the bulk of North America and formed colonies. Then countries countries and within those countries, the ancient empires still form the layers and provinces and states we see today of which is Canada, in, which in Canada is the province of Quebec. These currents form the basis of many Canadian conflicts over time. One which started in World War I, which is called the Conscription Crisis of 1917. A disagreement on who should join the World War. That is, English Canadians, who had more loyalty to the English crown, wanted to join the war, but the Quebecois, who had no loyalty to them and thought of them as imperialist. They had no particular loyalty to France either, so they were not interested in the war. It was a ventful tapestry of layers of French-English issues in what turned out to be a significant nationalism movement against the imperialistic British. Not to say that the French were not imperialistic too. After World War I and World War II, as we know very well, wars may stop over the surface, but the trauma of war continues in the soldiers coming home and the families and societies uh, that is left broken to lick her wounds. The civil arrest, the anger, the frustration, the emotional damage is tenfold, and any event to release this anger and pain is a good one, from drugs to street gangs, to rape to incest, to mental health issues, economics, um, 
sorry, uh, economic and financial woes. This was the state of Canada after World War II. She, she sent approximately 1.1 million soldiers, of which 55,000 wounded and 45,000 dead. For a country of 11 million, it was a lot, and the trauma still runs strong even today. That civil unrest and trauma showed its ugly face in the form of many Canadian conflicts, um, of which one was the English-French battle for sovereignty. The people coming back, instead of venting their anger on the streets and in civil society, they took their battles through the democratic outlets of society, the debate halls, the universities, and the political platforms of the land in what is an understated issue that we have never talked about, is that after World War II, Canada had a new sovereign, the 26-year-old princess called Elizabeth II. Her shy and simple demeanor, but rock-solid duty to civil discourse and, and debate, won many a heart. Out of, out of respect to her and her father, her smile and aura, the French and the English bowed their heads in respect and stated their claims. While the referendums happened, the trauma played out in different civil facets of life, we transition. You see, the sovereign was no longer an imperialist. Starting with Queen Mary and her husband, King George V, who adjusted from imperialism to connecting with the poor classes of society, Elizabeth II adjusted and became a constitutional monarch. The powers of her office were scaled back, and she had only a constitutional role to play, but she played her part, well with like her father and the grandparents before her. She was a veteran of the war effort herself, a woman in the man's world, a mother she healed more than she ruled. Yes, there were mistakes. Yes, like all, we all make our mistakes, some to her office, some to the fact that she does not control every aspect of society, but just lends her name to it. But she ruled, and today a new generation takes her place. The country that we inherit owes a deep gratitude to her for being that glue that held us together and a chance to rework and bolster a nation. A nation that is smoldering from this linguistic divide, with every new immigrant that graces her shores. He or she brings the emotional baggage to Canadian shores. Like every immigrant, they will take three generations at least to, be to begin to realign themselves to the Canadian psychic and their way of life. With our crony politicians pulling in all directions of identity politics, cannabis and victimhood slime to gain votes, cheap street-level phobic mentalities, mentality name-calling through culture and multiculturalism, they insist on us immigrants recreating our adopted land in the image of the lands we left behind. This means our emotional trauma and backward mentalities are played out on Canadian shows. As a result, a, a result is um, sorry. A, a result is a, re a recreation on Canadian soils of the same conflicts that plagued our native lands we left behind. This means a new layer of conflict and a revolt and revolt plague our society every day. In the, from the 1950s onwards, two to three generations of immigrants have been brainwashed to despise every single white man. A generation who wants to do away with the sovereign at the top. Change will happen and is part of life. One day it will all go. However, when change happens too fast, when you ask others to change and you want to stay the same, to suit your insecurities, your ignorance, but still want your hypocritical human rights, you will take this country down into a conflict. This conflict of tug of war of power that will play out in the if the sovereign is removed and a new constitution comes in. The power struggle to, divide, to decide that constitution is called civil war. With Canada already breaking at its seams, a Quebec who will say, well, if you're going to make a new constitution, we have the right to say we don't want to be part of it a lot at all and Quebec will leave. If Quebec secedes from Canada, so will Western Canada, so will British Columbia, and it'll be the end. 
So doing everything to maintain that sanctity of the constitution and the sovereign is important. I, our efforts to overhaul the constitution and our system of governance will come, but we will transition generationally. First of all, we have to heal our wounds, offload our ideological and mental baggage, change at the grassroots level. Only then can we ask for the change at the top. The, the currents that form our waves start in our homes. That is the bottom upwards, not from the top downwards. I repeat, the currents that form our waves in our, start in our homes from the bottom upwards, not from the top downwards. That means we have to change, we have to adjust, we have to offload that backward mentality in order for that to take place on the street. We can't ask the government to change because the government is who we are. We are the government. Every person who works for the government is our brother and sisters. So we have to change and produce a generation to change in order for the change to happen on the top. Not, not the change happens on the top and then we remain the same below. So we come back to the Royal Sussex soap opera. The ticket price is free, my friends, if you want to join. So what has Mr. and Mrs. Harry Windsor Mountbatten got to do with it? Or if you like better, Prince Harry. Their self-centered emotional soap opera of life, being about their emotions, emotions and their mental health, is an insulting outcome of those who do not understand that if you want equal opportunity, you have to take equal responsibility. To explain, I grew up in the shadow of Margaret Thatcher. Coming to power in 79 and Princess Diana Spencer marriage in 1981. Like many families around the world who watched and drew, and drew from their journey, I followed them through the years and watched their children grow. They were my little brothers. I watched their parents fight and their boys walking behind Diana's funeral cottage. Once an adult, I had to deal with the trauma of my own broken childhood. I had to make sense of the violence in my home and therefore the currents that form my waves. Back then, we did not have the internet. We went to the library to gain our knowledge. We were not allowed to talk and discuss, nor debate any issue. We were shut down instantaneously, ridiculed and chastised. As the internet slowly came up and, di and with dial-up, I started get getting access to people from around the world, learning from their journeys and trauma. I started researching people with trauma, those who came through conflict zones to understand my own. Knowing fully well that both my parents came from uh, Karachi, a city in the heat of the partition struggle in India, right there flashing in front of me were the whales and their public feud. To make a long story short, the currents that form our waves are what defines us. The plus, the minus that uh, of the plus the minus of that history from the joys and trauma that define our lives. Look at the 5,000 years of, of our lives and you will see war, conflict, and trauma. Each conflict is registered in our DNA, my friends. Our lives play out through their sequences. Now go back to the, 20, the start of the 20th century and there is war everywhere. In Europe, this played out in the form of the First World War and the Second World War. It was at the end of the feudalistic and imperialistic age. When change is sudden and the waves come crashing down, there is always a scramble for power. Those who are giving up power do not want to give it up. And those who want to fill that void and rise up to the top want to take its place, want everything, but uh, especially to throw out the old order out. And this is exactly what's happening in India right now. This power struggle is the same equation that plays out in every home, in every street, at municipal levels, provincial levels, and federal levels. This struggle for power to fill that void are the wars we see in history. In, in Europe, it took the form of the World War II and World War I during the first half of the 20th century. Millions dead, millions more wounded. The trauma is what we live through today. My parents' generation and that of Prince Charles and Diana were the first, genera were the first generation born after World War II. Theirs was the first generation to inherit the direct trauma of world wars. The visuals had gone, the stories were now in the newspapers and in the history books. At a time when people did not talk of wars, its mental health effects were taboo, a stiff upper lip is all they got as an answer to the trauma they inherited.
if we look all at ourselves, you will you see this baby boomer generation, as they are sometimes called, a generation traumatized with the evils and pitfalls of society. Rape, incest, drugs, illness, and tragedy. The repressive silence that they were sworn to did not do them any justice either. This is why we see the silent revolutions all over the world. The hippie generation during this time, a vent for their silence and the generational trauma that formed the currents and their waves. In every home that war continued, in mine to my neighbors and to the house of Wales, uh, it broke every home it graced and and house of Wales was no different. Uh, they succumbed, but people blamed the Windsors for all their trials. Um, when we all know that each and every one of our homes were in the same boat. If a family does not take a step back to undo and understand the knots, then it, then it not only broke, uh, but it handed that broken chain to the next generation. This was my home and the House of Wales was no different. Both of them brought this baggage to their marriage. What Charles and Dinah played out was a trauma they inherited like that of many in their generation. A trauma that was transferred to their children, Princess Harry and William. This traumatic baggage meant that neither of them went into their marriage as strong individuals, but that of those who were searching for their souls, searching for love in all the wrong places. Prince Charles had all his relationships with other women. Diana, for those who did not know, came from a long list of tri tribulations herself, along with marital flings of her own. She came from a broken home, left without a mother at a young age. Her father did not even seem to care. He already had a new wife by the time Diana was 15. Do you think that children, the children liked it or even understood what was going on? This is besides the fact that she had no real education. Uh, besides her high school degree, she had no trade or skill that she could use. She knew that if she did not marry big, then she would be relegated to, the, to being a middle class person all her life. Her land and inheritance would go to her brother. Whatever was shared by her and her sisters would be next to nothing. So when the opportunity came, she could have jumped at the, at the princess opportunity. Knowing fully well that life had nothing in store for her but a journey of hard labor, her desire to become a princess triumphed over every thought when the opportunity presented itself. Diana did not marry for love. She married for security. Something we all do even today. Yes, there was surely a little bit of love, but the security would have been the biggest prize. In her opinion, the royal family could never go wrong, so she assured herself a very good and secured life. Her security was that one day she was going to be queen. In her first interview, she said, Charles and I cannot go wrong. So she was so naive and desperate back then, like most of us, she handed those insecurities to her second son, Harry. While the House of Windsor is blamed for letting a 20-year-old girl marry the Prince of Wales, we forget that this is normal behavior for the 1980s. Every home wanted to get their daughters married off as fast as possible. The moment a nice proposal came in, age did not matter in the 80s. A good marriage proposal was the most important from a good, well-placed elite family up the social ladder that was the most important. Diana's family was no different. Imagine what they thought when Diana's family found out that their daughter had a chance to make it to the House of Windsor. Imagine the social climb. Did even one of them stop her and say, no, you're too young? Did they ask any questions or seek any counsel? Yet they gave her up to the for a chance to climb up the social ladder. Yet no one questioned them and asked them to share the blame. Because it's easy to blame others to justify their transgressions. Today, Dinah's daughter-in-law is, is in a similar situation as she was 40 years ago. She has not changed at all. Not learned from her past, from mistakes of the past. Instead, she's using her constitutional title and role to play backdoor political divide and rule policy, while making a big, in, raking in big commercial big bucks at the same time. 
All the while, her royal runaway husband tries to troll his subjects with a victim card. Well, we are not buying because we are no longer gullible, my friends. Been there, done that. We have learned a lot from the journey of the past. Politics and pretenders come and go. Our duty to loyalty to the land comes first and is eternal. So that is my take on Harry and 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 um, and. Megan and the currents that form the wave. So it's very important to understand. We always talk about the soap opera, the tabloids, but we have to understand the currents that they have inherited. We have inherited as a generation that are forming these waves. So let's go to something else that came out from this from this uh, episode: educational discrimination. Most people think that race is the biggest discrimination. It is not. It is education. Race is a fabricated issue inflated and orchestrated by political parties for the last 150 years approximately, only to drive a wedge between sections of society to play the divide and rule. It's about power and traction to keep mainly your vote bank slaves on your political slave plantation. And that is all. As the empires were crumbling and new political movements did not want to lose their slaves, and um, lower sections of cheap labor, they invented the concept of race to keep divisions in society. These societies then became democratic, and these new concepts became a way to hang on to our political capital. Nothing about the color of your skin has any effect on your human psychic or your life. Absolutely nothing. It is a political talking point for vote bank politics. Once they corner you into a safe zone, then they feed you with an ideology to convert your emotions and ignorance into political capital. Race has therefore become the most divisive politically inflated of issues fabricated since the latter half of the 19th century to play this divide and rule card to run a political agendas. One would ask why someone would do the same? Well, education is your answer. Societies that are not educated but remain ignorant are easier to control and be preyed upon with divisive divide and rule vote bank politics. However, most modern education is redundant since post-secondary education has been made a privilege as well as primary school education that is colored by political and agenda-infested establishments. So now we have two, three generations on the ground who not only think that they are educated, but they are in reality absolutely useless, gullible, and think no ends of themselves. They call themselves college-educated upper-class societies and look down on those who are educated with the same formal educational uh, qualifications as them. Sorry and look down on those who are not educated with the same formal educational qualifications as them. For those who want a real issue, education is the biggest and most prominent issues of discrimination, my friends. A hundred years ago, not many people had formal degrees. School, maybe, but not college and definitely not university. Queen Elizabeth has has a high school degree. She has over the years become the most knowledgeable and most powerful leader on the planet. At this time, at the time of her coronation, she was a simple housewife, come diplomat. For her time, it was not an unseen or uncommon or unimaginable thing. She mirrored the society of her time. However, since then, we have moved in leaps and bounds. Every generation is more educated than the previous one. Today, we see, to, today, to see a leader or a sovereign as a, as a high school degree holder is unforeseen. Since the baby boomer generation came into the world, if you did not have a formal educational degree in any field of your life, you would end up as a supermarket cash register. Uh, what people in society do not understand is that every human, every animal, every species of life on earth has a skill set. Every skill set is as important as the other. Every one of our skill sets intervene and form an integral part of the tapestry of life. So to negate any one skill set on the basis of formal education is discrimination and downright insulting. 
However, our society over the last 70 years has developed this way of life. An educational qualification is the new feudalism. If you don't have a formal skill set, you are relegated to the back of the line. You are literally considered a child of a lesser god. The labels have changed, but the mentality has not. Educated people of the planet are the new feudal class and the self-appointed gatekeepers of morality and society. All others are considered uneducated rednecks. So for Harry and his mother Diana, their educational qualifications were non-existent. Without royal titles, they would be nowhere. With, without the royal title, Diana would have been a cashier at some shop register, although her social skill set would have made her superstar employee. Not good enough, however, to even become the manager of the store. However, Harry is a chip of the old block. He too would end up at the as same as his mother. Even if he joined the military, there is a so far you can go without formal education. Even in the armed forces, you need to study and gain military qualifications, which Harry would not be able to do. On the ground, however, he was a fantastic soldier. Do you think he would have not felt trapped? This is what he was talking about when he pointed the finger at his brother to say his father and brother were trapped. In reality, the three fingers were pointing back at him. You see, without a title like his mother, he is not able to achieve anything. Uh, the title, however, is constitutional. Harry could not mix constitutional and commercial at the same time. He cannot use the constitutional title to earn money on the open market. Then the British public would say, if he was going to, if we are going to pay for you, you're going to earn, and you're going to earn big bucks with a title on your hand, on your hard, on our hard-earned taxpaying money. Then get lost. The constitution itself will have no value and become a non-entity. Anyone could put money down and buy it, which leads to corruption. Harry has to give it up. At the same time, he cannot earn anything without a title, as he has no educational qualifications. Therefore, he needs both, which is a major issue and causes great damage of separation of constitutional and political governance of the country. That separation of constitution, political and commercial is very, very important. They are all checks and balances to each other, while forming a very important part of democratic society. Democracy is not just a word, it's a mentality, and there is a deep mechanism and machinery that works behind the scenes to make every arm of society run smoothly and in fine tapestry. The knots that you find are those who insist on being above the station due to lack of knowledge and responsibility. It is important also at this junction to look around you to understand how three generations of our grandmothers had no formal education, or very little may be. They were more knowledgeable and had more class and valor on which we live today. As the curtains come down on their generation, we who have been disconnected due to our inflated and hollow educational degrees, are on course to destroy civilization with our ignorance. That which is more damaging than all race cards and infatuated politicians, as well as their aspirants who use them. It is also important to start looking around you to the people uh, who do not have an educational degree and a skill set. They are very important and society will not survive without them. It is for each and every one of us to look out for them and realize that three, four generations ago, we were all the same. We have risen through sheer hard work of our ancestors, but if we inflate our ego, think that we will never fall down again, we are wrong. We are cyclic. The sun has to set every day for it to rise every morning, and we have to fall down hard for us to stand up. It is very important to make this junction into an intellectual laboratory, my friends. Leftists all over the world have colonized the race card, invented the people of color card, Islamophobic card, child, climate change card, feminist card, in the guise that they are global issues. These were global issues until it became political or whichever party makes it political, misuses the situation to colonize people's mind into a vote bank plan 
political plantation. However, it is very important to understand that the reasons that they use these cards is for their ideological slaves to remain addicted to the plantations and their soap operas, which they can convert into political capital. This is done by using that very same card as an alibi to sow mistrust, anguish with a classic divide and rule agenda. For those who don't have the opportunity to gain educational qualifications, it is no use using political cards and blaming others for your status. It is your currents that form the waves. Somewhere up the line, your ancestors did the same and you are reaping the dividends of that bad investment. Go back to the drawing board, understand those currents, learn from the junctions and rework your lives while understanding one thing. Change takes 72 years to move one degree, my friend. You will go back up if you can learn, adjust, evolve, and take your responsibility to create that equal opportunity. Thank you very much. That was not all. I haven't finished this yet, so don't go anywhere. <laughs> Harry, my dear friends, Prince Harry says he was trapped. So let's look into his accusation. Let me explain. So my father was very well known in my community. Everyone knew him and I was his daughter. 99% of the people did not know my name. However, everyone used us to channel their energy to my father, which is normal. We became his face in the crowd. We were obligated to represent him and follow him in his footsteps and ideology. We were asked at every corner. So when you grow up, you will take over from daddy. We revolted at every corner. It was suffocating. Everyone decides who you should be, what you should look like, what your morals should be, what your future should look like. Your husband should be who, who you should get married to. Now this is normal for every South Asian family. However, when your parents are well-known, this mentality hits the roof. You, on the other hand, slowly sink beneath. You should, you become claustrophobic and anguished. That is a depression and exasperation that follows. All you can think is, I want to get out. Now, every child will interpret this differently. I choked and bolted. Then you go to the other side and suffer post-traumatic stress disorder. This is what Harry is feeling, and I understand. However, every child comes from a well-known family, from a well-known family, goes through this. Every family was a well-known place in society uh, had this issue of transferring their legacy to their parents. Um, uh, uh, and then there is the other side as that of Megan's family, who has no official legacy to hang on to, no titles to become socially and politically relevant, but she wants to latch on to every title and marry into a very well-established family to gain traction and climb up the ladder to feed her nostalgia for power, fortune and fame. While I understand my situation is but a speck of dust in the whole wild world, and Harry's position is global and generational, at its core, the issue is the same for all. You are forced to be someone who you are not, and to fit the requirements of society, we have something to learn from this. The Windsors knew about Harry's feeling a long time ago, and should have cut him loose. Harry, on the other hand, has to have the guts to say that if he wants to get away, he has to burn his bridges. He cannot be commercial and constitutional at the same time. He cannot sell his title for big bucks at the same time and have the British public uh, pay for him. When I left my family to go to another world, I eventually disinherited myself for my inheritance and my family politics. If I was really going to be on my own and offload my emotional baggage, I had to go all the way. Hanging on to the past was not only not helping, but taking me under. I did, I, it does not mean that I do not talk to members of my family. However, I choose to burn bridges and take my responsibility to create that equal opportunity. Harry wants his cake and to eat it too. Not possible. If Harry is really serious about restructuring his mental health, then he has to do a deep dive into the cycles of the past, a thousand, thousands of years back. Rework the junctions and offload all that comes with it. Then only one will be free. 
Again, just because he feels one way does not mean that the other members of his family feel the same way too. His finger pointing at others shows us a mirror image of who he is and not that of his brother or father. Welcome to freedom, my little friend. It's not free. Freedom comes at a price. So what is mental health? A serious issue and not a laughing matter to be made a mockery of on a high-stakes interview. Every human being on this planet, includes, including animals, will go to some sort of depression in life. This is without exception. Every depression starts because of unsolved issues in your parents and your, and your parents uh, and their parents' lives, which you will inherit. Uh, then you add it to your childhood, and depression is something everyone, every one of us will go through. It always, always, always starts in your home through your youth. It never starts after you leave your home. So let's start with the fact that we're all cyclic. So every single one of us will go through every single angle in our cycle, 360 degrees and daily. There is no such thing as privileged. Harry Windsor Mountbatten was born to parents who were troubled. A broken family and problems started in his childhood. His parents were two products, two were products out of the Second World War. His grandparents out, out at World War I. On and on we can go. His wife Megan's family uh, herself comes from a broken home. A broken first marriage, a turbulent childhood in a rich but very difficult city of Los Angeles. Depression is a rule, not an exception in their case. Add to this the pandemic, our lives came to the full stop. We were all cooped up in our homes. No social contract, no hugging, kissing, no holding each other. For the human species who is based on social contract, this is depressive. We all felt not just, we all felt it, not just Meghan Markle and her wannabe um, royalty. In... Um, um, in India, there were many people who died due to suicide uh, during COVID-19. All of the above being said, for a woman to come from a broken home and multiple layers of trauma to childhood and adulthood, on what ground does she point the fingers at someone else to accuse them of not paying attention to her mental health and or suicide? Did she acknowledge she had mental health issues before she married the prince? Did she speak with her husband or her in-laws when the press asked asked to speak to Harry and his new wife was there any outreach to shake hands and join the dots to chart out a course to get to know each other better or was it only to talk about fear women of color and how they're victimized we are what flows from this is depression whose fault is this her adopted homeland or her currents that form her waves if Harry if if um, Meghan Markle wants to live in a cocoon of people of color and fabricated victimhood to camouflage her guilt, then it's her problem, not the implied discrimination on the other side. Of course, you cannot tell us tell that to a bunch of woke political aspirants. In others, in, in order to apply for any political post, economic know-how and co commerce is your best bet, uh, not fabricated victimhood to gain traction. So an important fact at this junction is that Her Majesty said that the debacle of the 90s, her Annis Horribilis in 1992, uh, was really difficult a year. She informed her family that those who were still to get married had to spend at least five years with their partners before tying the knot. You see, when Diana and Charles, Andrew and Fergie, and to some extent Princess Anne got married, they went straight back to work in the firm. A very short courtship, no training, no help, and, and on they went. Fallout, no foundation was created to build their marriages, no alignment. There was therefore, therefore another generation of generational trauma. As for Prince Edward and Sophie, they took their time before the wedding and after the wedding. For Her Majesty herself, she, took, she also took her own time. After her marriage, they went to live for five years in Malta, away from the public eye. Look how strong she and Prince were together. Even Prince William and Kate spent eight to nine years together before the wedding, uh, and they took time off themselves after the wedding. This is what Queen, Queen wanted for her grandchildren. However, did Harry and Meghan listen? No, I'm sorry. 
Um, 18 months courtship approximately, and then they got married and went straight into public life. What do you think is going to happen? Turbulence. I remember the engagement interview with Miss uh, with Megan in her green dress, and she said, I'm going to hit the ground running. I winced and thought, you can't be serious. Is she serious or what? Did she not learn anything from the past? This is never going to happen. This was never going to work. You have just landed into a new country, a new world. It's the most powerful family in the country. Uh, the most high profile, the most followed family on the planet. Do you think you are not, you're not going to get some heat? To think that once, for once the press was nice. The press reached out to her and gave their hand to her. The press mended their ways. They learned great from the lessons of the 80s and 90s, as did Harry and Meghan. They really channeled Dinah's negative energy energy and mistakes and did not learn for even one thing from the past. They used it to create even more chaos and uncertainty, divide and rule as they say. They both had got great precedence anyway. Thank heavens it is William who will be king and not his little brother. Compare this to Catherine's interview after the engagement where she said I'm willing to learn and work hard. So you see the difference between the two, uh, Catherine and Megan. Catherine took her time, learned, worked hard. The other uh, soap opera actress said, I'm, I'm ready to hit the ground running. Wow. Now this being said, when you go to another country, it takes you three generations to begin to align. And this for every immigrant, 72 years for you, for you to move one degree. The first generation, we arrive and gather our thoughts and lick our wounds. The second generation is the in-between generation, which does partial work and becomes a bridge generation. The third generation then starts to offload data and ideological baggage. Thus, how, how does she think she can step foot in a country and all of a sudden we're going to bow down to a high and mighty to a woman who has never earned her stripes in the Commonwealth? No, I went to a new land and I still have not fully aligned. Uh, every junction is a new beginning and every junction is an intellectual laboratory. It takes forever. But we choose to cross the bridges over the pond and across the oceans. Who's, who said it was going to be a bed of roses? This is the mistake every single immigrant makes. He or she thinks they are going to get off that boat and life uh, and is going to be a bed of roses and they will get human rights. Well, it's your currents that form the waves and you will get dividends of, the, of what you invested in your country. Where did Megan do? What did Megan do in her country? She sat on a TV show and slammed Donald Trump's face during the 2016 elections. She was exercising her democratic right. Fair enough. Now, when the shoe is on the other foot, it was not okay to be on the receiving end. Well, this is not mental health issue. This was a soap star trying to get traction for a future political role. When you have a depression and you are suicidal, this is a journey through the darkness out of it. You don't change countries and it all goes away. It is your currents that form your waves, our waves. So if she's really depressed, then you would not be able to be in a good frame of mind to sign multimedia deals, write a book and travel. It's a very dark place to be in. However, much support on the outside you get, the darkness is in the is a mental space you cannot reach. So how does it disappear so fast? Unless you're faking it. Um, so I, I've spoken for 53 minutes, but I, um, I'm going to cut sh short a little bit because I have a lot more to talk about. Um, just two more points on this particular um, point uh, on this particular chapter, and, and we'll get down to it. So the Commonwealth Group of Nations is a group of nations who were part of the British Empire, for most of it. The mid-term 20th century is a transitional period after the mid-20th century was a transitional period for 5,000 years of feudal rule, and now a new way of life, new vocabulary, new social systems, new political order. It takes time to build and get used to. In the interim, economics has to go on. Without economics, we have no reason to exist. When you are in turbulence and there is change in political 
power, economics always suffers. So the Commonwealth was a real transition ground to maintain contacts and transfer to the new world. A brilliant idea for its time and even today. Some might not like it, but look, it is what it is. What's better than nothing? And one day it'll go, but for that time it was okay. Uh, although now I think the effects are wearing off, and so I don't really think we need it. But all the same, it, it, it was good for its time. We have bigger problems and bigger issues at hand. Um, most of our citizens, are, however, are dark-skinned. For us, color of our skin is not an issue. We have bigger problems and bigger issues at hand. We have reached a stage where we do not care what your color of your skin is. We do not care. We care about good governance. On the contrary, we look down on people of the West it, it, to bead whatever color. We are indoctrinated to believe that they have no morals and valor. All the charity work you do will not change that. Actually, there's more discrimination against dark-skinned or black people in Asia and Africa than in Europe. Dark-skinned people uh, are forward, frowned upon as children of a lesser god and are discriminated against. So when she answered in reference to her trip to South Africa, saying, when I went to Africa, people were so happy to see uh, people of color. And I said, what? We would never say that. Absolutely never. Maybe an exception to the rule, but definitely not the rule. We would never even give our children to marry someone like her. A second marriage, a broken home, it would be looked down upon. Asians and Africans have backward mentalities and traditions and discrimination happens a lot in various formats. Systemic racism or discrimination is normal in our daily life in Africa and Asia. So what is, so what this, is this trolling about? Only to gain traction, my friends. So let it be clear. The British Empire, who effectively stopped slavery in the colonies, starting with the abortion, uh, abolitionist in, uh, sorry about that, in the, in the 1770s, and the act uh, was, it was an act being passed, um, and in, it came to effect in, the, in 1833. No empire did it in such a huge scale, okay, because, well, the British Empire was very prominent at that time, neither did the uh, Turks do it, neither did the French uh, to that level, to, and no empire did it to the amount of the, of the British who stopped slavery. It is a fact, it is noted, uh, in all their colonies they stopped it at a political level, but of course it takes time to trickle down. Um, everyone played its part and the rest followed suit. The Portuguese were the first to stop slavery in Europe, Haiti was the first country to effectively abol abolish slavery successfully in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, a Maratha king by the name of Sivaji Maharaj stopped slavery in the empire in 1645. African kingdoms did not want to stop slavery. It was only towards the end of the 19th century that slavery came to a slow halt and stretched unofficially underground after that. The Industrial Revolution in Europe was responsible for slowing slowly parting ways with slavery. If it was up to Africa and Asia, we would still have slavery in the world. Now, what is Meghan Markle trolling about? Slavery would still be in Africa if it was not for the Europeans, who first had to stop the human stain on their continent itself. Um, why does she not want to remember the small footnote of history? Did African brothers uh, about bother about their color people of color when they were sold when they sold their own brothers and sisters oh by the way families always talk about how fair or dark their newborns would be always especially if the child is of mixed descent we always talk about newborn features now on the top of this if you are going to make a career about people of color you will attract people who talk about color your magnetic field you keep talking about color every time, you will attract someone of the same mentality. It's not a shocker to anyone, especially to all the brown or dark-skinned people, otherwise known as Asians or Africans. We Asians and Africans know what we say all the time. How come no one stood up to this hypocrisy and insult, but played the victim card instead? With the exceptions of a few. Um, so, that was really uh, stupid of her. Absolutely stupid. Um, 
And the last point I will bring about in this chapter is the interview itself. Okay. So while I did not watch the whole interview that uh, Prince Harry and Meghan gave on TV, only in snippets, I quickly catch, quickly caught a glance of something uh, Meghan Markle said. I gave up my career for this family, or something to that effect. In her first post-engagement interview, she said, she was asked, now you are giving up your career for this role of princess. And she replied, well, I don't see it all at it that way at all. This is a new beginning for me. Well, what is it? A new beginning or career put on hold? So after she left back for the States, it was a career put on hold. Before she started, it was, oh, it's a new beginning. Then the black dress and the makeup and the dark makeup. She was trying to channel traction, the, the Black Lives Matter movement. True and true. Okay. A future role in government. Apparently, the negotiations were on six months after the wedding of Prince Harry and, and, and uh, Meghan to land an interview with Harper Productions. It was a, not a large, last-ditch effort, uh, allegedly. So the interview. I grew up watching her and loved every minute of her shows. I'm not going to take her name, the person who introduced uh, Harry and, and Meghan, because I'm absolutely livid at them, at her, and um, I don't want to give her any more traction than she has. Her energy crisscrossed the world. We loved her from every corner. However, the interview was always was below the belt, and I just lost hope. Never ever saw her as black or white, just an amazing lady. Not anymore. First of all, the interviewer is no longer neutral. She is a political activist. She takes up for a political party, which is her right, but no longer can she call, be called neutral. So her interview was a political show to gain votes and play the divide and rule and drive a wedge into society. Now, when you see a young couple like, like Harry and Meghan in the heat of a storm, or in trouble for whatever reason, your first duty as an elder statesman is to put down your political hat, your ideological hat, your commercial hat, and just be there for them. Counsel of compassion and comfort is your goal. You are supposed to be there and support the person during the storm, pride, shelter, be it emotional or mental or otherwise. When you know that they are in a political storm, you are not supposed to pull, pull, put out the oil, not supposed to put oil into the fire and light it up. She knew this that this was going to get them in trouble in the future. They were going to pay a price with this interview with his family in the public, the UK and whoever else was out. I would have been up to it would it would have been up to this interviewer to say, look, I understand where you're coming from. This is not the time to do interviews. This is the time to heal. I am there for you, to support you, to talk to you, to counsel you. But I would like you to politically decline, uh, to politely decline any interviews. And I do not want to be any part of an interview. And neither am I interested in going forward with the circus. Yes, I'm talking of the interviewer who uh, interviewed Harry and Meghan on TV from America. She's got her own production company. Um, let me explain. About a decade ago, I was going to my own depression. You could, you could tell from the outside. I barely dressed up decently. My clothes were clean, but then looked soggy and worn out, like a sack of potatoes. I did not care from the outside as I was hurting from the inside. One day, I was talking to a friend, and we all started joking. I made a joke, and I thought it was a joke, but it was not well interpreted. My friend did not take it lightly. I did apologize. She could have thrown me under the bus. Instead, she was doing something for me. She did something for me that no school, university, nor church or friend had ever taught me. She turned around and, and became my best friend. She took care of me, took me shopping, uh, taught me how to dress and how to be presentable. For the first time in life, someone did that for me. I was floored. I could not understand at first. However, when it did sink in, I could not get over what she did for me. I thank the day we crossed our paths. She is of African descent. If this world was half like her, we would have been a much better planet. I salute her parents who brought her into this world and gave her up to us. These are the jewels in the crown for doing such a fantastic job with their children. So my dear friends, that is what you call an elder statement. 
someone who takes off their caps and hats at the moment in time and be, and becomes that steel rod, that pole position in the heat of the storm for you who who are not so fortunate. That interviewer was not just the elder statesman that particular day. She sold those two people out to the highest bidder. It is exactly the opposite of what you should do. So that interview was a mess. The interviewer was a scam. Uh, and so was um, Harry and Meghan. And I think you know what I'm talking about, the big interview uh, that Harry and Meghan gave on TV, which was absolute mess. But that's not the only reason I wrote this chapter or the only reason why I'm talking to you about it, because there are many lessons to learn from this. And as I've pointed out, you can go back and research what I talked about. But these are, I basically touched on mental health issues, on how we, um, you know, why it comes about, just briefly, obviously, um, you know, what it is to when someone says, I'm trapped. Is it trapped from the outside, trapped from the inside? How do you get into the space? Um, I've also talked in general about educational discrimination and racism is a scam. It doesn't exist. Tomorrow we'll do an entire chapter on racism alone. But the worst, in, worst discrimination on this planet is educational discrimination and not racism. And we will go from there. Um, so I hope you understood the different points I tried to bring about, not just the, you know, the soap opera that's going on. But it was important for me to talk about it. And I hope I, uh, you research, uh, learn about it, make this junction into an intellectual laboratory and heal, my friends, because that's most important, healing. So I thank you for your time. You have a great day. Cheers and stay safe.